Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We're going to continue on in the book of Jude. And if you remember, just a little quick recap. Uh, we looked at verses 3 and 4 last week. Verse 3 uh, was this very intense called war. There is something going on. The faith is under attack. And the writer is summoning the warriors to, to rise up and literally fight. Defend the faith. This is what needs to happen. And then as we proceeded to verse 4, he tells us what's going on. And he actually says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, and they've turned the grace of God into lewdness. I mean, here you have this situation where you have men that are coming in virtually undetected. The masses are not recognizing. They're in the church. And the reason they're not recognizing is because they look just like one of them. Again, they, they know how to talk. They know how to play the game. They know how to, to, to speak, if you will, Christianese. That they're quick to profess Jesus as Lord. They're quick to tell you, man, I have the same goal as you do. We want to inherit the kingdom of God. This is what we want. They're quick to quote scripture. I mean, in all these facets, they look just like one of us. But guess what? At the end of the day, they're not. They're not like one of us. They're of a different breed. And this is where, you know, I, I basically, like I said last week, for me, I'm going to tell you, this is the scariest version imaginable of warfare. When it's, the war has come to us, it's in our house, among our people, and they look like us. I mean, total traitors. I want to open up today with a few words from Yeshua. He's going to help put this into context for us. He says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now keep in mind, this is a reference directly to, and you can see other places even within Matthew, Yeshua uses the imagery of sheep to reference his children, those who follow him, who are his disciples. These are his servants. So Yeshua himself says they're going to come in and they're going to look just like you. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Notice Yeshua doesn't say, well, inwardly, they're ravenous uh, bunny rabbits. They're ravenous, you know, cute little, little furry creatures. You want to pay attention to what he just said, because he is, a, he is conveying the nature and the character of these individuals coming in and ripping, ripping apart the church. They're gutting the church. He likens them to wolves. And I don't know if you, you guys are hunters out there, you've got some hunters. If you've ever studied the nature of a wolf and how it hunts, then and only then are you really going to appreciate what Yeshua has just brought to the table and learn something about these false prophets, about false teachers that will come in among us. Wolves are apex predators. There's no doubt about it. They are highly intelligent and when they go out to hunt, this is what's so amazing. I've actually seen this. I've witnessed this. When they go out to hunt, man, they will test the herd. They will look for weakness and vulnerabilities. And what they'll do, this is so amazing, they will try to scatter the herd, separate it, and make sure they get the slower, the weak ones, and isolate that one from the herd. Because to be a part of the herd, it gets very dangerous. And it's mind-blowing because, listen, I'll give you an example. They'll go after bison. You know how huge these things are? They're like 3,500 pounds. A wolf is 150, a good size, 150 pounds to 180 pounds. 
And you have wolves going after a bison? I mean, you get a bison in a a good jaunt, he'll knock a car clean over. These wolves will isolate a bison from its pack. And guess what? Within seconds, they will take this thing down. All this bison will know is that he has 20 different wolves literally ripping his flesh apart limb from limb. It's unbelievable. Their their characteristics, and here's, I'll give you a testimony. I was driving up to my grandparents' farm, and they have over 300 acres. And they had a sheep pen. It was actually technically a goat pen. Fence was high, at least five to six feet high. And there was some goats in there. And my grandparents took, they kind of took in, it sounds weird, but they took in a wolf. And the thing was huge, and they kept it on there. They loved it, they, they, they fed it, and they, you know, enjoyed it because it really provided some good security uh, for them. And the, the thing was mean. And so and I'm just saying that, and it looks scary on top of it. Okay, so you here you have this wolf, and I learned something about wolves. As we're driving up, we see total chaos in the pen because you can see through the fence. You can see it's just crazy, and I hear these crazy noises. And so, you know, my aunt, she guns it. We we drive up quickly. We get out of there. I come up, and it looked like a crime scene. This wolf had jumped the fence and had ripped this, this, just got done ripping this goat apart. I mean, just ripped it to shreds. And he was just starting to go after the other ones. And we immediately went in. We rushed into the pen, opened the pen, and chased him out. And I asked my aunt, and I won't forget this. I'm like, I don't understand. You know, he, he, he already killed one. He didn't even eat this thing. And he's already trying to kill the other ones. I, help me understand this. And I, and I learned something. Wolves don't stop. They don't just simply kill what they're going to eat. You know, some predators, this is how they function, not wolves. They will continue to kill, even that which they're not going to eat. They will kill and kill. They are killing machines. Now, some would tell you, well, they're just great preppers. You know, they want to store up food for later. <laughs> but they are killing machines. And I, so I learned something about a wolf. They kill, and they will continue to kill. In other words, had I not gotten in there and run this thing out of there, he would not have stopped. And you want to take a lesson from this because I'm going to tell you right now, you allow a false prophet, a false teacher to come into your camp, I'm going to tell you, they will not stop until you're all gone. Every single last one of you. This is a reality. I want to take you to our companion letter to Peter. And we're really going to delve into today's message. And this is kind of a real solid basis for this. Uh, and remember, Peter is giving the exact same message that Jude is. He's only using a little different uh, terminology. He articulates it differently, and that allows us to actually have a much more profound and comprehensive picture of what Jude is bringing to the table. And so with that, let's go there, and we read this. But there were also false prophets among the people, and then he says this, even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, it's interesting. Jude articulates certain men have crept in unnoticed. Peter comes on the scene and tells us what these men are. False teachers. Now, here's the thing. If if, if you're reading Jude, it's one thing to have the perspective that, hey, we might have a couple wolves in our congregation, and they might be moving about, and certainly what Jude is bringing to the table could cover that. 
But we learn from Peter and what Jude is really after here, we learn this just went to a whole nother level. See, because communities can have wolves kind of roaming about, but what are supposed to be on beat? What's supposed to be going on is there's supposed to be shepherds moving about and caring for the community, and when they spot the wolves, they get them out. You have that protection. What happens when the very shepherd becomes compromised? You're talking a whole nother world of carnage. See, keep in mind, these shepherds, these are the ones that the people are coming. These are the ones that they trust. They're, they're, they're coming there because, hey, you're going to teach us the way of truth. You're going to lead us into all righteousness. You're going to tell us exactly who Yeshua is. You're going to show us how to get to the kingdom of God. We trust you. But when that shepherd's compromised, and these congregants have given their hearts over to that, and many do, and they love them, think about the power of that. Think about what's going to happen. That is, that is literally going to end up just like what I drove up and saw. I mean, it was a bloodbath, literally blood dripping off of this wolf's face. This is no joke. Now he goes on and he says this, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And Okay, so Jude's version is, and they will turn the grace of God into lewdness. Peter comes out, and they're saying the exact same thing. Turning the grace of God into lewdness or literally bringing in destructive heresies, which is to say, hey, we're bringing in destructive teachings. These are not teachings that line up with the word of God. This is what's happening. And as we continue here, well, and then he goes on, he says, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Moving to verse two, you're going to find that bad things are going to get worse. And many will follow their destructive ways. Many, not some, not few. I still would have a problem if Peter came to the table and said, you know what, there's going to be a few of you, you're going to be taken out. Well, that's unacceptable to me. I mean, just as a shepherd, we don't want to lose not one. We know that's the Lord's heart, that nobody perish. And now Peter is coming on the scene and saying many, and he's not talking about the world, he's talking about inside the church. Many professing believers in Jesus. That's unbelievable. They're going to cater to, they're going to fall into this. I I think about this. How does something like this happen? Why would you follow a wolf? Well, go back to what we just talked about when we opened up. They don't look like wolves. They look like you. They look like me. They look like one of us. And do you know that these wolves are so sophisticated, they know how to pull on the heartstrings of people. They know how to evoke the right emotion at the right time. They know how to captivate their audiences. They know how to draw them in. They know how to sell their position, their ideology, regardless of what the word says. The apostle Peter, or uh, apostle Paul rather, he builds on this. And I'm going to put this up here with this. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The time is coming. They're not going to endure it. Now, this term here, sound doctrine, hugiai nuseis didaskalias in the Greek. Listen to me very, very carefully. This is important. When Paul utilizes this term, he is explicitly referring to the Torah, to the prophets. This is what he refers to. He uses it transposably with the Torah and other epistles. 
And it's important you understand that. And all you have to do is actually go back to the previous chapter, just a few verses before, and you'll even see this play out. And so what I want you to understand is what is Paul conveying when he says they're not going to endure sound doctrine? He goes, a time is coming when the people, believers in Jesus, are not going to endure the law. They're not going to hear it. They're going to put their, ears, their, their hands up over their ears. They're done. And then it goes on and says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And actually, you look at this Greek, what they're going to do, they're going to run to the teachers. They are going to run to specific teachers who are telling them what they want to hear. That's going to line up with their heart. And what happens? They will turn their ears away from the truth. They'll turn their ears away from the truth. They're going to be turned aside to lies, total fables. Now, when he says they're going to be turned away from truth, what is he referring to? Well, we know that in Psalm uh, 142, 119, 142, your law is truth. Psalm 119, 151, all your commandments are truth. The Torah is truth. All his commandments are truth. So when I go back here and it says they will turn their ears away from the truth, they're going to turn their ears away from the law. This is what's at the table. They don't want to hear it. And this, this is scary to me because Proverbs 28 says anyone who turns their ear away from hearing the law, even their prayer is an abomination. You think about that. When I refuse to hear the voice of God, when I refuse to listen to the word of God, I am now told, this scripture telling us this, I'm locked out of the throne room. Well, doesn't that just sound like the wolves? When they go in and attack, what they want to do is they want to isolate you from the herd. They want to take you away. Make no mistake about it. The prince of wolves, the devil himself, wants to get you away and separate you from God because I'm going to tell you, you won't have the power. You will have zero power over him and he will rip you limb from limb. Your life will fall apart. You will be in total bondage and oppression. It will be hell on earth. And this is what he wants to do. And I'm going to tell you just for me personally, my testimony, you have no idea how important it is that my prayer life is right with the Lord and that I know when I hit my, go to my knees, I know I'm getting into the throne room, not because of my righteousness, not because I deserve it, but because I've humbled myself before the Lord, I'm confessing sin, and I'm, I have faith in Yeshua. And I know when I hit the deck, my prayers are going to be hurt. I need that connection. That is central to my relationship with the Lord. You know, it's, it's just like Ravenhill, you know, he talks about how you can test a man's faith by their prayer life. You can measure his faith by the time he spends in prayer. And there's so much truth to that. And see, because there's power, the devil does not want you going into the throne room. He does not want you convening with the Lord and spending time with Yeshua that is so meaningful in your prayer closet. He wants you alone. Scariest version of war imaginable. I mean, that's what, that's what we're getting into here. Yeshua puts this even further into context in regard to these false prophets. Listen to what he says. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now let that sink in for a second. In other words, understand something historically. You can even read it. Okay, go to the prophets and you will see. The false prophets were loved. 
They were adorned by the other children of God. They were respected, revered men of God. I mean, that's just the deception. The further we get into this, the scarier this becomes of the reality of what we're actually up against, what we're dealing with. Going back to Peter, many will follow their destructive ways. Oh, and then he goes on and says, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. A better way to translate this is through them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, false preachers, false shepherds, false teachers, they will blaspheme the way of truth. How do they blaspheme the way of truth? I'll I'll tell you how they do it. I've seen it. We covered some of it last week. They will take scripture and parts of it they will omit. Parts of it they will abandon. And when that gets too extreme, it's too overt, well, then they get more clever, more sophisticated in their approach. And they'll take you to scripture. They'll keep the passage. They'll just reinterpret it. They'll rewrite it. So as to fit the narrative of their own heart. So as to make sure that, you know what? I don't offend any of you. To turn this to, to, to something that's politically correct. This is what they do. They blaspheme the truth. They don't give the people the truth. And you, you know what sells? You can live like hell and inherit heaven. That sells. You know, people would choose comfort over conviction any day. Unless you fear God. Comfort is so much more tantalizing. It just feels good, doesn't it? It's all about how we feel. I mean, this is, this is how much of the church is living right now. How, do I, how does that make me feel? I want to take this to the whole another level. I want to take you to Jeremiah 28. And in Jeremiah 28, I'm going to tell you, there, there's a situation where we have a prophet having a discussion with another prophet of God. Two prophets. And where are they? They're in the temple of God. They're in the house of the Lord, and they're in the midst of the Kohanim. I mean, you want to talk about witnesses. I mean, this was an awesome moment to be alive and to be able to see we have one prophet communicating to another prophet. One of the names of those prophets was Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been preaching and prophesying and warning that, listen, Israel, listen, Judah, you need to bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon. In fact, Jeremiah literally, and I I mean this literally, physically was carrying a yoke of wood as he would go out and prophesy. You understand? And so he was prophesying, this is what needs to happen. Yes, even Judah, this prophecy, it actually, uh, it was in regard to the entire nation, all the nations, the whole nations, but Judah included. So, you know, as a Jew, as you get into the historical context, only then can you appreciate the weight and gravity of what is going on, where you have Jeremiah going out and prophesying that, you know what, even Judah and, and is going to come under his authority. And at this time, let me take it a step further, what we find is Nebuchadnezzar had already pillaged some of Judah. They had already taken captives at this point. He had taken the king captive, brought him back to Babylon. He'd taken stuff out of the temple, these beautiful artifacts, brought them back to Babylon and this is, this is the backdrop. And so here you have Jeremiah run, running around with this yoke on his neck. And he's prophesying, God's not done. He's still commanding you to put your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon. 
But then you have another prophet come on the scene. And his name was Hananiah or Hananiah. And Hananiah comes on the scene and says, no, actually, that's not what the Lord's going to do. What the Lord is going to do, he's going to break that yoke off of our neck and off the neck of all the nations. And you know what's going to happen? Our king is going to be restored. And all those things that he took from us, from the Lord's temple, they're going to be restored. Our people are going to be restored. There's going to be liberty and salvation in Jerusalem. This was Hananiah's prophecy. I mean, these are two different prophecies. They couldn't be more polar opposite if you want them to be. Here you have two prophets, and, and that's the thing that is so deceptive about this whole situation, is they are both prophets of God. Hananiah didn't, didn't walk around and say, you know what, I'm actually a false prophet. He is called a prophet. He is a prophet. He has been, God, that means God had spoke through him to his people. He was walking with God, walking with God, God using him uh, to communicate to the Jewish people. But now it came to a point, and, and this is the fine point I want to make here. Getting into the historical context, you need to feel the weight of what I'm going to say here. The Jewish people were totally and completely oppressed. Barely any strength to stand. All they wanted to hear was a little bit of hope. They needed to be edified. They needed to hear the, the strength of the Lord for them and to come in and to build them up and to totally restore them. And everything I'm saying, I'm saying we know our Lord is strong. There's no, no, there's no talk about that. I mean, that's obvious. And we know the Lord loves Jerusalem, And we know the Lord loves his people. And the Jewish people are suffering at this time. And Hananiah comes on the scene as a prophet of God, known prophet. And he tells them exactly what they needed to hear at that moment. That they were desperate to hear. Please, God, just give me a word of etiquette. Give me a word of hope here. Throw us a rope. And then Hananiah comes on the scene and his, everything he says just goes right along with the, exactly what you'd want to hear. And if I was there, make no mistake. That's exactly what I would want to hear. I mean, just look at what's happening in this country right now. I'm already saying it. I mean, this is crazy. This is, this is my heart. This is my burdens desired. I want this country to be free. I don't want to operate under communism. You know, Judah was under communism in the sense of being under the authority of Nebuchadnezzar at this time. And they want God to move. And here he comes at the perfect time and gives the perfect prophecy. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Bring it. It was so compelling that even Jeremiah himself said amen. That's how compelling this prophecy is. So here you have one prophet of God going to another. They're both saying opposite things. Who do you believe? Jeremiah himself says amen, but then what happens is Jeremiah leaves. And the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, I didn't talk to him. He broke a, a yoke of wood off of your neck, and in place of it, I will put yokes of iron. I mean, just harsh words. So the Lord sends Jeremiah back to him. I want to show you what he says. Check this out in Jeremiah 28, verse 15. Then the prophet, Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, two prophets, here now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you to make this people trust in a lie. This is a fundamental governing principle of every false prophet, every false teacher, false shepherd. This is what they will do. They will come in 
and seduce you and get you to trust in the lie. Believe it. Just like Satan did to Eve. He got her to trust in a lie. You will surely not die. You can break the commandment of God. You don't need to listen to God. It's not true. He somehow managed to do that. They're very good. The devil, the prince of wolves, is very good at this game. This is how serious it is. Continuing on, verse 16, we read this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. This goes right along with that fundamental governing principle that false teachers will come out and they will teach you, they will get you to trust in a lie. Well, they teach rebellion against the Lord. In other words, you have to understand, the Lord says ABC, the false prophet and teacher comes on the scene and says, no, you don't need to listen to that. You don't need to listen to that. And, and you know how many different examples I could give you? Hundreds. No, you don't need to, li- you, know, you know, when you go to the New Testament and, you know, Jesus is talking to the Jewish people, uh, his teachings and what he has, it's only for the Jewish people in that time. But it's not for us today. The things that Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, well, they're not necessarily for us today. It was just specifically for the Corinthians at that time. I'm not making this stuff up. These are conversations I've had. See, this is what they do. They come on the scene. They get you to trust in a lie. They teach rebellion against the Lord. God's word is very clear, and they want to get you off the path. The Lord gives us a little bit of warning In regard to these false prophets and false teachers, he says this. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. You want to receive? You want to receive the teachings of the false teachers and the false prophets? You want to go out and drink from polluted wells? Understand, it matters who you allow to speak into your life. That matters. You're going to allow these people to speak and to understand you could end up totally worthless. And what does that mean? I mean, we're talking in a real spiritual, eternal life sense. You become totally unprofitable to the Lord in this context. You may have been a vessel of silver or gold, and the Apostle Paul uses this imagery, but now you're going to be a vessel that's turned into hay and straw. And when the fire tests it, you won't be here. You'll be gone. Verse 17, he goes on. They continually say to me, those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil will come upon you. It's okay. You surely will not die. God doesn't really expect you to do that. That's super legalistic. I mean, that's, that's extreme. God doesn't expect you to be some crazed out extremist, living the letter of the law. No, 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 you don't have to do it. You're going to have peace. You, oh, I understand. Do you feel fulfilled and happy fornicating or in an immoral relationship? Well, if it makes you happy, it's okay. God loves you and I love you. You see how absolutely twisted and diabolical this logic is? I want to draw your attention to this. This is why I highlighted this. Notice he says, they, say, they continually say to those who despise me. In other words, okay, he's talking about the false prophets speaking to their captive audience. And that audience 
is literally being defined as haters of God. They hate God. Read it again. They continually say, so we have the false prophets saying to those who despise me, anyone who receives a false teacher and receives that teachings, this is the Lord. And this is one of those startling moments in scripture that always literally stops me dead in my tracks. When I read something like this, you know, we see the Lord, he talks so compassionately so often. Grace drips from his lips throughout the word and you get accustomed to that. Then you come across a passage like this and you're startled, you're, you're drawn back. It forces you to meditate and, and go, well, wait a second. Now he's calling people that are listening to people that are, they're going out saying, I'm a prophet of Jesus or I'm a teacher of Jesus Christ. And they're going out and, and then find out, well, their teaching's not accurate. And if I receive that teaching, I hate God? Are you serious? I mean, that's harsh. And he says, you're a hater of God. Let me, let me capitalize on this. And I'm gonna put Proverbs 17, four up. An evildoer gives heed to false lips. In other words, if you're drinking from a polluted well and you're receiving that polluted water, hold time out. It's starting to tell you about something because scripture is very clear. An evildoer will receive the false teacher's message. A righteous man will not. A righteous man has that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they will be Berean. And they will go and make sure the things that that guy has spoken are in the word. Testing every word. Making sure it is so. Paul says in Romans. What's going on here? Give me a click back there. Move me to Romans. There you go. Okay, I got. There we go. Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity, meaning hatred. It's hatred against God. Why? Because it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Let it sink in. It's hatred against God. If you refuse to hear the law, even your prayer is an abomination. If you're going to refuse the word of God as God intended it, and he's speaking to you, you got a problem. You hate God. See, but that's not, uh, how does the devil do this? This prince of wolves. He flips this on the other side and says, I'm not kidding. These conversations I've had that, well, if you try to go to the law, you're actually rejecting Jesus. If you try to keep his commandments, you are rejecting him and his grace. And yet you can read passages like, well, let's hold on a time out. Wait, wait a second. Because Paul says the exact opposite. That if I refuse to hear the law, that I refuse to embrace his commandments, I hate him. The prophets say it. Paul picks up on it. Shall we continue in grace that, you know, sin may abound? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Not a chance. But somehow the devil flips this whole conversation up on its head. So people will not hear God's word. This is serious. Listen to this psalm. It is so beautiful. Teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe your commandments. Do you understand what just happened here? You know, when we start talking about the commandments of God and the law of God, we are talking about faith. Faith in God's word, faith in God's character, trusting in him. I believe in the commandments. 
I believe in him. No, no, here's the deal. Every Christian that is out there who actually believes in his word, in his commandments, they will do it. It will move them with a Holy Spirit conviction to obey the Lord. But you, you look at the history of Israel in the wilderness, entire generation of Israel wiped out because they did not believe in his commandments. See, this is where you separate the sheep from the goats, whether you actually believe this or not. And right now, we have far too much of Christendom that does not believe the commandments. We, we, we have Christians running around, as we talked about last week, that actually are trying to justify the morality of abortion. I mean, that's insane. That's not even a conversation biblically you can have. If you believe scripture, you can't even enter into this conversation. But this is happening. So what I'm telling you is the wolves have been released on the church, and they're picking them off. They're ripping them out limb by limb, just shredding them. It is awful. There we go. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. I will heed his word. I will receive it. That's the only way to repentance. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about a particular denomination who back in 2010 came out with an amendment to their basically their charter, their bylaws, and in regard to uh, who they're allowed to be as clergy. And it was amazing. She said, well, back in 2010, our, you know, the head of our denomination uh, came to the decision that no repentance is needed. Now, I'm not making this up, by the way. And then it proceeded, now you understand why this is, as you proceed to read this, I actually have it in my office right now. I read this amendment. And then it proceeded to say that, well, you know, used to, we used to say, they posted, this is the old language, this is what it used to say. And part of it being an ordained minister, you had to be in a biblical marriage, with one man, one woman, and, and it, going through the biblical scenario. It was very well written. But now we're going to put it, now it doesn't say any of that language. It doesn't have any of that. And you can be in whatever relationship you want, and you can still hold an office as an ordained minister. See, no repentance needed. You know, the, the, the reality is there's only one way to turn back to God, and that is a, his way. And we're, we're being taught today that we can turn to him in any way we want. How, whatever we feel, well, that's what we'll turn back to. No, his law is so specific. His commandments, his word is infallible. It's true. It's been tested. We have to listen to it. But you have to believe it. And if I believe it, I will do this. I will be the young man that takes heed according to the word. And as you saw the testimony before we got into the sermon, he is so merciful and gracious. He longs to forgive us. He's ready to forgive. Read Psalm 86. He is ready to forgive. standing waiting right now if we can just take heed to his word. And we enter into that beautiful repentance and that beautiful life. I want to take this to another level. I want to take you to Deuteronomy 13. Talks about false prophets and this is what we read if there arises among you a prophet or dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or wonder oh and the sign or wonder comes to pass in other words a prophet comes on and saying and, you know today what would be is be you know i'm speaking in the name of jesus and jesus has revealed to me something xyz and guess what this is saying xyz comes to pass this is a prophet of the lord coming out 
speaking in the name of the Lord, saying X, Y, Z is going to happen. And it does happen. But there's a catch here. And it, well, even before I get to that, this is important. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 actually says that, you know, it, it, it goes out and asks the question, well, how do we know when someone is actually speaking as a prophet of God and God has put his word in their mouths? How do we know? The response is this. If the prophet prophesies and the thing they prophesied comes to pass, then you know that the Lord has truly spoken through him. He is a true prophet. Okay, so take that. In the context of what we just read, the sign or wonder has come to pass. But here's, in Deuteronomy 13, there's a little catch here. There is actually saying after this, in, in dovetailing with this, they're saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, let us serve them. And you know, the practical reality of this being carried out. Now, I want to be very clear. Israel fell into this. But when Israel fell into this sin, it was far more deceptive than how we and I are just reading it right now. See, because it wasn't, oh, I'm going to abandon Yahweh. We're going to abandon our temple. No, 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 no. It wasn't like that at all. What it was, it was, it was more, it was presented more as a peaceful unification between us and all these foreigners around us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, we'll continue to serve our God, but we're also going to introduce these other gods. Exactly what you see happening today in Christianity. Exactly. And so they would introduce these other gods, and we know this. I just mentioned this not long ago. Archaeologists like Zev Meschel, back in the 70s, unearthing these pithoi, these clay jars, and on them was written, we bless you in the name of Yahweh and his Asherah. I mean, this is actual fact. You find this in the land of Israel, okay? So you, you got to understand that they're, they're drawing this stuff up. Israel fell into this, but the reality of it was so much more deceptive. It wasn't, okay, we're going to abandon Yahweh. We're going to abandon. We're not going to worship him anymore. We're, we're done with the temple. We're going out to, to serve the demons. No, it wasn't like that. This was about creating a peace and unification with the other nations around them. It, would just, seem, oh, it just seemed so nice and politically correct. That's what's going on here. But here's the deal. Listen to this carefully. Deuteronomy 18 talks about, we know a true prophet if they say what they say comes to pass. Well, that happened here. But that's not all. It goes on to actually get us away from the commandments of God. That, this covers the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments. So now we have a prophet saying something, and it comes to pass, but now he's going to lead us away from the word of the Lord. Well, what do you do with that? Well, before I show you, I want to take you to Matthew 24, 24. Yeshua says this, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. Exactly what we are reading in Deuteronomy 13. They will show great signs to deceive. Oh, if it were possible, even the elect. You know how great the deception is that we're up against right now? If you read Matthew 24, we know Yeshua talks about the birth pains of the tribulation. When tribulation begins, this is, this, is, this is the days we're living in right now. He's talking about prophets at this time. We're to be expected. You can go read the whole chapter. And he makes it very clear that during the last days and the very last time as you're starting, as the earth is starting to heave and the birth pains of tribulation start, he says that's when the false prophets are going to be released en masse. They're going to be released and they're going to flood the market. See, that's why this message is important today because 
we're going to have false prophets and false teachers all over the place. You know, you look at Christendom today in this country, it's falling apart. Well, yeah, I mean, we have evidence. We have fruit of that. But he says, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. That's how great the deception is. People written in the Lamb's Book of Life who have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they're being led by God, they're being taught by God. The deception is so great that if it were possible, even they would be taken out. You know, there's only one other example I can give you that shows that kind of level of deception, and that's the angels, the 30 of the angels in heaven who serve God, who saw him in his infinite glory, somehow being taken out by the tongue of the prince of wolves, by, by Satan. He allured them, and actually he was so convincing and compelling. Whatever he said to them was so compelling, they joined him and literally tried to take over heaven. I mean, this is absolutely insane. This is the kind of deception we are up against. This is, the, this is the level of deception, really, what the Torah is trying to extrapolate for you. And so he says, if the sign of wonder comes to pass, but they're trying to tell you, you don't need to do the commandments of God, well, then we continue, we read this. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord God is testing you. Oh, boy. How are we doing in Christendom today with the test? When we have all these false prophets, false teachers running around telling us, you know what, we don't, need to, we don't need to keep the commandments. They've been nailed to the cross. Even as far as these, I mean, absolutely theologically insane people telling me, I don't even need to listen to the teachings of Jesus in the gospel because that was only for the Jews in the first century. That's not for Gentiles. You got to go to the epistles of Paul. I mean, how very Marcion of you. That is absolutely demonic. It is deceptive because many people are grabbing onto it. Absolutely crazy. The Lord is testing us. What is he looking for? We read this. To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And you shall walk after the Lord your God. You shall fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. This is what he's looking for. He wants to know if you love him. And that's why Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And see, the Prince of Willis is trying to come to sever a covenant of marriage. One of the most vile things you will witness is, and man, it gets me, it gets me hot. When I see a third party coming in, sneaking in, and trying to break up a marriage, and trying to mess with a man, a woman trying to mess with a man, or a, 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 a third-party man trying to mess with somebody's wife. That is demonic. This is what the enemy is doing. This is what he's doing between the bride of Yeshua and Yeshua himself. He's trying to break covenant. And Yeshua, what he wants is he wants our obedience. He wants us to show our love for him. And the way we tangibly show our love for him you know what? We obey him. We actually listen to him. See, that's what wives do. They, they submit to their husband's authority. To be, we don't want to be under authority today. We want to be our own masters. We want to be our own gods. And this is in the church. I wish I were just simply talking about the world. It's not true. You know, I, I look at, at this last part, they obey his voice. And you think of John 10 as, as Yeshua is telling, the sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. They listen to my voice, my word. They follow me, but they will by no means follow a stranger because they don't know his voice. 
See, and that's why you better get rooted and grounded. You better get to know the voice of the Lord. Because there's a boatload of strangers out there speaking right now. And there's a lot of Christians because they don't know the voice of the Lord. They think, well, that's the Lord. Because, you know, these voices are saying, I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord. See, but when I hear certain pastors talking, and I mean, the conversations I had, you know, my head kind of tilts, what? The, the law was nailed to the cross. I don't get to keep the Sabbath. It doesn't matter what I eat. It doesn't matter what I put into my temple. Yes, it does. Because my master told me so. I believe his commandments. I believe his word. I know his voice. This is his voice. I have it. It matters. It makes all the difference in the world. I want to take you to Lamentations chapter 2. It has, Lord has something awesome here. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. But then he says, they have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. Now, this really is just simply an extension, Lamentations, an extension of Jeremiah. But I highlighted this because you need to understand what to expect from a false prophet or false teacher. They will not uncover your iniquity. They will not tell you the things that you need to hear. They will only tell you the things you want to hear. Instead of bringing conviction, they will bring you comfort. And they will wrap their arms around you and kiss you right into the gates of hell. Remember, faithful are the wounds of the friend. The kisses of the enemy are deceitful. People, believers, Christians are being betrayed right now and they don't even know it. Because they don't know his voice. You know, I think of Samuel, you know, I'm, you know, going back to 1 Samuel and Sam is just a young child and the Lord calls to him and he runs to Eli the priest. Well, here I am. Because Samuel thinks Eli's calling me. He's like, I didn't call you, go to sleep. Get out of here, you know, I mean, you're waking me up. He does it again. Says, Samuel, Samuel. He's like, oh, I hear Eli. So he runs to Eli. And Eli's, no, I didn't do it. And then eventually Eli catches on. He's like, that's the voice of the Lord. Next time you say, oh, here I am. Here I am, it's the Lord. See, Samuel had to learn the voice of the Lord. And once he knew it, that was all over. Nobody else could speak to him and him not know it. But again, you know, I'll beat a dead horse here. If you don't know his voice, you are not going to make it in this generation. You will not. You need to know his voice. You've got to have that locked down. If you have anything locked down, it's got to be that. Apostle Paul, in Acts 20, he sends for the elders. He's in Miletus, but he sends for the elders of Ephesus. He has a very important message to deliver, and he needs to meet with him. He is calling an emergency meeting, is what he's doing. And he says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And this is what I told you at the beginning. When you see wolves, they won't spare anything. Everyone's going to be ripped limb from limb. And from among yourselves, they're in the church. So Paul's saying the same thing that Peter does. He's saying the same thing that Jude does. They're coming from among us. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. See, they have a captivating message. Believe my words. Yeah, I know they're teaching, you know, they're getting too legalistic. They're just always Torah, 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 Torah this, Torah that. I mean, this is, the, I, you know, when you're living it, it's so different. 
to read scripture that you're actually experiencing. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Rarely will you see Paul express this kind of emotion. Rarely. And yet we see it here, and it's specifically in regard to these savage wolves ripping and gutting out the church. And he is weeping day and night over it. Does that, does that maybe tell you how great the threat is? That this is what's keeping him up at night? This is why he has to call emergency meetings? Because this is a serious matter. People are going to die. I'm going back to Jude. We got to finish this out. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. And we're going to finish verse 4 today. And deny the only... (laughs) I didn't even know I made a joke. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) And deny the only Lord God and our Lord Messiah, Yeshua. Notice... By turning the grace of God into lewdness, by not clinging to his word, he actually comes out, so there's no ambiguity. You deny the Father and his righteous and holy Son. You deny him. And Paul actually uses, uh, he, he tells the same thing Jude does here, and he does it with, I mean, just perfect clarity. And I want to put it up here. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In other words, what he's saying, to the pure, meaning to the holy, to the righteous, to the God-fearing man, everything that God has written to him, everything that's holy and pure, he accepts. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, and it's interesting, unbelieving, what did we cover today? Psalm 1966, it says, I believe your commandments. I believe them. We're dealing with people here that do not They're defiled. They're unbelieving. Nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Oh, the worst part, they profess to know God. They profess to know God, but in works, their actions, this is what they're doing. They deny him. The very thing that you just got done saying, they deny Yeshua and the Father. But in works, deny him being abominable. Oh, disobedient to what? I mean, is, is Paul talking about being disobedient to our own dictates of our own heart? Or is he talking about the holy word of God? Right? Disobedient, disqualified for every good work. You know, there's, there's going to be a day that is coming, judgment. And Yeshua is going to come out, and we know from Luke 6, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? And many people at judgment are going to cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? I did wonders. I did miracles. I cast out demons. It was all for you. It was all for the kingdom of God. He's going to say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You did not listen to my voice, which by the way, the Torah makes it very clear that all his commandments, the Torah is the voice of God. And we look at Israel, and it just baffles me as how any Christian can look at Israel and scoff and say, oh, what a joke. Those people were so stiff-necked and rebellious. You're doing the same thing. It's insane. You want to talk about judge not, lest ye be not judged. This is problematic. So we're going to end it for here. 